Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Golver with the Washington Post, and I am joined on the other line by Michael Pina of SB Nation, who is live in Brooklyn. And we're going to dig in deep to Kyrie Irving's big comeback from a, a long-term shoulder injury that kept him out for 26 games. Uh, he was nearly perfect in his first game back from the field and had a number of signature Kyrie moments. We'll talk through what that means for the Nets this season, what it means for the Nets in the big picture, and all that kind of good stuff. Before we do that, though, I want to start with a quick message. And honestly, it's just some good news. I feel like we all need some good news every once in a while, and that's what this is. Last week, I told you guys that Andrew Sharp and I had launched a new podcast called Greatest of All Talk. And look, it's an independent venture. We didn't know how it was going to go. And I'm just really proud and happy to say that a week later, our minds have been completely blown. All of our expectations have been shattered. We got more subscribers, more of you guys signed up uh, in two days than we expected in in the first six months. And so the good news or, or the takeaway here is that for everyone who enjoyed listening to Andrew on this podcast, was wondering what his next move was going to be. You know, that podcast, Greatest of All Talk, is off to an exceptional start, and it's really going to be here to stay. And so I'm I'm so excited to announce that, uh, to you know know that he's got a next chapter uh, when it comes to NBA podcasting, and also just frankly knowing that I'm going to be able to talk to him every single week about basketball. If you guys haven't signed up yet, be sure to go to GOAT, that's G-O-A-T dot supporting cast dot FM. Uh, you can also check us out at Greatest of All Talk. Com. It's a super easy sign-up process. Lots and lots of people have already done it, and we've had a lot of fun. And for longtime listeners, you guys might remember the podium uh, or the lantern, just different segments we had experimented with over the years. We're bringing those back on that show, uh, and it's been awesome to hear from so many familiar names, familiar faces uh, from around the globe. So I just want to say thank you guys so much, uh, and there's a, a nice dose of uh, you know good news uh, early in your week. 
All right. Without further ado, Michael, let's get to the uh, the man of the hour. That would be Kyrie Irving. Now, he came back on Sunday uh, in a really impressive game, I thought, against the Atlanta Hawks. Now, look, the Hawks are basically a G League team at this point. They didn't have Trey Young. They looked like an absolute mess on both offense and defense. But you've got to play who's in front of you, and Kyrie certainly did that. He had a nice uh, high-arcing scoop shot. He had the, the tough fall away in the mid-range. He had the, the step-back three-pointer at the top. He had the, uh, you know, the inside-out crossover dribbles. He's snaking through traffic, uh, you know, making tough finishes. It was a little bit of everything from Kyrie Irving. So, Michael, I'm just curious. You, know, you follow the Nets pretty close. You know, they're in your backyard. What was your big takeaway from, from Kyrie's uh, you know, moment back after almost two months sidelined? And is this a bigger deal? Like, should we be hyping this up a little bit more? After all, you know, he's a perennial all-star type of guy uh, who we've seen you know, have a big impact, uh, and he's in the middle of his prime. Kyrie looked terrific. I mean, you wouldn't have even guessed that he missed 26 games or however many he sat out with the shoulder injury. He kind of just picked up where he left off doing all the things that you mentioned. Uh, you know, there was this one play on where he was on the baseline against DeAndre Hunter, where he did a crossover behind the back, stopped on a dime, and then finished with a left in traffic. Like, there's just stuff that no one else in the league, uh, or I guess no one else in the world can do that he does regularly, and he makes it look so effortless. So that was cool to see, you know, shooting 10 for 11 from the field in 20 minutes. It was a good I mean, I expected him to be good. It was against, as you said, a G League team and in the Atlanta Hawks. But he, it looked like he just kind of picked up where he left off before the injury. So that's good to see for, for Brooklyn uh, as far as... Well, especially because they had been talking maybe surgery, right? I mean, there was all sorts of weird things where they weren't really disclosing the nature of the injury. Sure. He was just kind of... He was out for a while. Everybody's getting frustrated. Now we get some rumors that there might be surgery or something else going on. Did this put all of that to bed? I mean, are we feeling pretty comfortable like Kyrie's back and uh, he's good to go here for the rest of the season? Yeah, and I think when you look at just the the Nets, I think the attitude around the team is just, you know, obviously this year you don't want to just punt on a season. But I think everybody knows that the stakes are just so much higher going forward than they are this season. So it's good to get him on the floor, good to have him get reps with his teammates and just increase the familiarity in Kenny Atkinson's system and with the coaching staff and everything like that. Uh, but, you know, like big picture wise, what he does for the rest of this season is kind of small potatoes, I would say. Right. And I am absolutely against this notion of a gap year. You know, if we're just going to take this one off, you know, just kind of wait until Katie comes back. That's not how you build championship habits, right? I mean, a lot of the guys who are on this roster currently are going to need to be important complements in a Kevin Durant-centric offense, right? They're going to need to be uh, reliable and, uh, you know, experienced type guys to contribute. And so you need to see those guys develop. You need to see how those combinations work without KD. And you need to start to get a sense for which of these guys are going to be fits with him and, and who's not. And I think even more important than that for the short term, you know, you've got Kyrie, an established all-star level player. And you've also got Spencer Dinwiddie, a guy who uh, has played like an all-star this season in Kyrie's absence, right? You really need to explore and push that partnership really as far as it will go. And I was astonished, Michael, when I looked up their numbers on the court together. I mean, when when the Nets have those two guys on the court, their offensive rating this season is better than everybody's in the league. 
and their net rating is better than anyone's in the league either. So they've been more dominant with those two guys together than the Milwaukee Bucks, and they've been more efficient offensively than even the Dallas Mavericks. So of course, everyone out there is screaming, small sample size, and it's only like 150 minutes. And that's true. Uh, of course that applies, but it tells you that's a real promising start, right? That's the first kind of foundational block of where this team could go. Uh, and as we've seen a lot of times when we're looking at these big time playmaking wings, what do we say constantly? LeBron needs another ball handler and creator to kind of uh, support him. James Harden needs another you know shooter or ball handler to kind of uh, help balance things out uh, in the backcourt. Kawhi Leonard, you know, same deal uh, with the Clippers. I mean, that's like the constant refrain, right? And I think what you're seeing potentially line up for KD is you have two of those guys who could give them a really explosive offense if they played them all together uh, next season. So uh, I reject the notion outright of a gap year, <laughs> right? And I think that the, the Nets need to remain focused on trying to salvage this season. Now, that being said, they're at 18 and 20, Michael. They're in the seventh seed in the Eastern Conference. There's a pretty big gap between them and the sixth seed, the Indiana Pacers. And when you look at their next five, it's tough. It's like Philly, twice, Utah, Milwaukee, the Lakers. So they just got done with a seven-game losing streak. They get Kyrie Irving back, but they're not out of the woods, right? And they're also in a situation that could be you know, fairly tough for them to make up ground uh, in the Eastern Conference. They just dug themselves a hole, and there's no way around it. For you, what's in a... You know, what's a best case scenario for this group this season? If they're trying to maximize what they can do um, this season, is it possible that they sneak up to like a five or six seed? Are they pretty much locked in that seventh or eighth seed? Uh, can they be a team that scares Milwaukee or Boston or Miami in a first round series? You know, like what's their end game, I guess, here over the next four or five months? Yeah, I think that I think they are locked into the seven or the eight seed, which would lead us to believe that their first round opponent in the playoffs is going to be the Bucks, the Celtics, the Heat, Toronto, the Sixers, one of those teams. And I just, from watching this team play as, as much as I do, and they haven't really been able to develop any consistency or any continuity in terms of the rotation because guys have been in and out with injuries. And, you know, at, you talked about the Dinwiddie, Kyrie pairing and that those numbers actually shocked me too as well I expected them to be not good on offense uh, in particular with those two on the floor just because of how they clash stylistically and we saw in Kyrie's first game back like Spencer Dinwiddie is just not doing anything when he's on the floor with Kyrie Irving it's basically the Kyrie Irving show with Spencer kind of hanging out and he's not even a good spot up three-point shooter so I'm a little skeptical about the fit. So if I'm Brooklyn, what I want to do is just play those guys as much as possible throughout the regular season, kind of tinker with their compatibility. You know, Karis LeVert might be, probably is a better basketball player than Spencer Didwee. So we need to kind of figure out how he's going to fit in with everything. So, I mean, best case scenario is you're competitive in a first round series and then Maybe you win. You probably won't, though. I mean, it's just it's kind of just a learning uh, experience from here on out, I think, with this team. Yeah, we got a question here on this uh, this matter of Kyrie and Dinwiddie from Brandon. He writes, as a massive supporter of Kyrie, the past two seasons have been just devastating. No other NBA star has fallen further than Uncle Drew, except for maybe Westbrook, who's had a horrible couple years. 
I'll ask you, who has had the worst last two seasons, Kyrie or Westbrook? And what would you guys do with Dinwiddie? Should he still be starting alongside Kyrie? So, um, <laughs> what a question. Michael, I, I, I think they need to start together, don't you? Like you're saying, play all the minutes. I mean, there's, there's not really a situation where you could tell Spencer, hey, thanks for your contributions, you know, back to back up life, right? Like, I think he's, he's lodged in there as a starter. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the bench has been terrible, but there's so far kind of, getting Karis Levert into that role where he's kind of the dude who's the 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 primary engine for the second unit at the start of the second quarter since he came back from his injury I I would be pretty shocked if they moved Spencer to the bench just because he's been their best player this season and he's a borderline all-star he might as well he could get voted into all-star weekend by the coaches that's not out of the realm of possibility so I don't I don't consider it I don't think that they will move him to the bench I think that would be pretty shocking Uh, I agree and then on this issue of Kyrie versus Westbrook who has had a bigger fall off do you uh you want to take a stand on that one or do you have (laughs) other nominations or I mean is Brandon being a little over dramatic here when it comes to Kyrie? I mean, is it more of a perception thing about Kyrie falling off as opposed to like the nature of his game? Because I think his reputation to me, it just got a little bit overinflated, right? Uh, in 2016, 2017, in terms of what he was going to be capable of. And then I do think that maybe there was an overcorrection back the other way. Yeah, I think if you talk to people around the Boston Celtics, they'll probably punch back on on that notion just a little bit but uh as in terms of like just on court impact and just who how how good he's been on the floor like there's really nothing nothing to concern you with Kyrie Irving's game he kind of is who he is he's just this mega talent who can get you a bucket in any like shape form or fashion whenever he wants so from that perspective yeah, I I don't think anybody's worrying about his game. I mean, he could get uh, if he was a free agent this summer, he'd get another max contract. That's just how good he is. Uh, so when we compare that with Westbrook, I mean, it's just kind of no contest in terms of the basketball player and what they're able to do, and in what situations they're compatible. But I for sure, I, I think Westbrook has fallen off uh, harder and in more damaging ways than Kyrie, and I think some of it's just age related, and some of it's just the shooting factor too, right? You know, Michael, I, I'll i be honest, man. I'm not the world's biggest Kyrie fan. I agree with you. A lot of what you're talking about in terms of Bucky getting potential and, you know, shot creation, uh, you know, he can carry offenses to pretty high levels as the number one guy. But I've been skeptical of his impact on making his teammates better, of his ability to participate in an elite defense, in his consistency factor, his reliability factor. And then just, you know, in the matchup game of the postseason, um, you know, is he going to try to do too much? Um, and is he going to, you know, take himself out of games in certain situations like we saw last year? I mean, those are all kind of red flag questions to me. And look, I was unsparing in my analysis of when Kevin Durant and Kyrie decided to, ter- uh, to team up last summer. I hated it. You know, I did not like it from Kevin Durant's perspective. I mean, we're having a talking about a guy who's, you know, potentially going to be the best player in the league before the injury. He's now partnering with a, a player with all these questions. Uh, including health questions that I didn't mention earlier Earlier uh, with Kyrie. To me, it, it really felt like, you know, I mean, throwing away the next four years is maybe a little bit overdramatic. 
but it really did seem like he was boxing himself into a corner with an organization that hasn't had a lot of recent success, um, you know, with a, a co-star where the, the fit there wasn't going to be ideal. Now that we've had, you know, six months to marinate on that decision, I think it's, you know, kind of an appropriate time to go back and look at it based on how the Kyrie Irving era has started in Brooklyn. And he's saying all the right things yesterday after the game about wanting to build a championship culture and, and all those kinds of things. But as we've seen this unfold, we've also seen in other places in the Eastern Conference, whether it's Boston, uh, Miami, Philadelphia is still plugging along, Milwaukee is still plugging along. We've seen a lot of teams that look like they're uh, going to be you know, pretty credible threats again next season. And I think that there was this idea when KD and Kyrie came together that, well, once Kevin's healthy, they're going to be right back, you know, shooting up to the top of the Eastern Conference. And it might be like a KD versus a Giannis battle to own the conference, right? I'm not sure it's going to be that simple, Michael. And so I'm curious, uh, how do you look back on that decision that those guys made? You know, how smart was it? How well do you think that they're going to fit together? And then when you look ahead to next year, do you consider the Nets to be a a top tier contender in the Eastern Conference? Or are they kind of in this pack with some of those other teams that I mentioned? I mean, I'm fine. Just to address your first question, like I'm fine with them getting together. It's not the greatest thing in the world. I think it's just it's it's fascinating to see how they will complement one another and whether or not they can like what what does a Kyrie Irving KD pick and roll look like? Are they just going to trade off isolation possessions? Are they, you know, will they fit into Kenny Atkinson's more egalitarian system, which so far, you know, with Kyrie on the floor, they are bottom three in assist rate. And when he's off the floor, they're top 10. So it's just, it's going to be really interesting to see how that all fits and meshes. And for So Michael, 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 how can you tell me you're fine with it when you're, when you're, when you're listing off these damning statistics? That sounds terrible. No, I mean, we got to, yeah, I, well, look, when we talk about this season, like, I don't know what your expectations were. Like mine were that they could easily miss the playoffs. So I, I just, I don't really care about this team this season. They're, they kind of just are what they are. And it's all about when, when Kevin Durant gets back. And for me... That's that's actually a really good slogan for them, don't you think? I don't really care about this team, Brooklyn Nets 2020. <laughs> exactly. Get your season tickets right now. Um, and that's what I'm saying. That's why it's a bad decision for Katie and Kevin... I mean, Katie and Kyrie, because they're trying to overcome a lot of that sentiment. And to answer your question real quick, I'm with you. Like, I think they're pretty much on track for what I expected. I thought their best case scenario was 45 wins. Um, the fact that they're hovering near 500... Uh, with Kyrie missing so much time is fairly admirable, but they're not even a cute story right now, right? Like they've got to you know do some work to even get into that category. And I guess you know if I was Kevin, I'd be looking around at this and thinking, wait a minute, did I? I mean, I don't know if I'd be regretting things because obviously he put a lot of time and thought into it, and he wanted to play the buddy ball thing and just have a nice chapter with his friends, you know, Kyrie and DeAndre Jordan, but. Um, you're not a little bit nervous if you're KD after seeing this play out? Well, if you're KD, you should view yourself as like, no matter where I go, I'm good enough that my team will be a championship contender. And so for me, it's like everything is on the Achilles. We don't know what KD is going to look like when he gets back. I think it's the biggest variable in the league right now, at least regarding next season. And if he comes back and he's a top five player, then I guess most of this conversation is kind of moot. Like, 
regardless of what they look like in the regular season, I just think it's going to be really, really tough any team in the Eastern Conference to beat them four times in seven tries if KD and Kyrie have it going. But if KD is just a top 15 player, you know, if he is, you know, no no shots, but like if he is what Jimmy Butler is right now next season, like you are, I don't know what you're doing if you're Brooklyn. Like that's just a worst case scenario. And that is also a possibility. So it's just going to be fascinating to see how it all plays out. Yeah, you know, point very well taken on KD's injury, kind of changing everything. I guess what my concern is when these guys are back healthy, are they going to be the on-paper all-stars, right? The team that you look at and say, oh my God, how are we going to match up with Kevin and Kyrie? But once you actually get out onto the court, you realize there's only one basketball. Kyrie doesn't move it very well. Um, You don't have to contend with both of them necessarily simultaneously. And then are they going to be uh, in a situation where the whole is greater than the sum of the parts? Or are you able to kind of dissect them into just the parts? And that's what I want to see play out. I really would love to be proven wrong because I would love to see Kevin have a nice, you know, third chapter here after Oklahoma City, after Golden State. And of course, uh, you know, rebounding big time from that just horrific, tragic injury to be able to put it together. But I'm super skeptical. And I think that, you know, some of the same problems that Katie and Westbrook ran into earlier in his career, I could see sort of coming up maybe a different flavor uh, with Kyrie. Um, because Kyrie can shoot it. He's a much more efficient player and all those kinds of things. Uh, But, you know, some of the same tensions or issues in terms of team balance and all of that, uh, I could see all those popping up again here for Brooklyn. Well, here's my million-dollar question for you, Michael. Taking all this into account, you know, giving us your best estimate of what Kevin might look like, you know, post-Achilles, and trying to project out here not only into next season, but say, you know, the next three years or, or even past that, uh, if Kevin and and uh, Kyrie decided to re-sign in Brooklyn, uh, what are the odds they win a title? Like, what percentage would you give Kevin Durant of winning a championship with the Brooklyn Nets? I went back. This was a tough one. I went back and forth, never getting above 10%. 10% was like where I maxed out as just best, absolute best case scenario. Uh, wow. I settled. This is for... This is for a guy who's a top five player. I mean, you know, we're anticipating only 10%. Well, I don't know if he's going to be a top five player, you know, like I, again, I think the Achilles is a real thing. He's 31 years old. I settled at 5% chance of winning a title and I I kind of view it as a two year window. I mean, next season they'll, you know, they'll give their best effort, but it'll be Katie's first year back from an Achilles. Then the season after that is his contract year, which is just it speaks to how comical like championship windows are in the NBA. And then, I mean, he's going to be, what, 33 then looking for the next deal. Uh, I don't know if he will still be one of the five best players in the league. I don't know what Kyrie will look like. Kyrie also has his own injury history and the shoulder that you know, kept him out of these 26 games, he kept speaking about how concerned he was with this becoming a long-term thing. He's had knee injuries. He's had uh, multiple surgeries on his body, uh, famously only played 11 games at Duke. So you combine that with KD's injury. I mean, you just need a lot of luck to win the championship. And there's like, you look around, there's so much talent around the league. I can't give you, for a team that has not even played, like stepped on the court yet, I can't give you any higher than like, five percent yeah just can't do it you're saying luck's important and you're describing this team as if they're like basically completely cursed <laughs> like they're never gonna have the luck <laughs> that's what it kind of sounds like look man i was gonna say 15 percent, but you were really convincing i don't like to change my mind people know that about me I, you know I, I like to form my own decisions but 
Yeah, I think you've pulled me down into that 10% or lower category. A lot of variables, starting with Kevin. And I think that it's going to be an adjustment for him because he had so much support uh, from the Golden State Warriors. And I've always said, Kevin was taken for granted in the Bay Area. But I think he also took for granted the level of support he had offensively and defensively uh, from those team teammates. And when you're going from peak Draymond Green to... Jared Allen, you know, when you're going from Steph Curry to Kyrie Irving, when you're going from Clay Thompson to Karis LeVert, those are downgrades across the board, right? And so unless Kevin's coming back with a vengeance and as a better player than we've ever seen previously, I don't know how you compensate for that. I think the only other variable here is this. Brooklyn could be trade deadline players, right? Or even players this summer with some of their younger talent and draft picks. Like, do they have a crazy you know, Rich Paul flex, we're just going to steal Anthony Davis from somebody type of move in them. Is that the way, is that the path that Brooklyn needs to take to get to a title? I almost feel like they have to trade for a legit third star by cashing in a bunch of these young assets and kind of go back to the big three model if they're ever going to fulfill this title, uh, this title odds dilemma. I mean, they can put together a very intriguing package now based on what Spencer Dinwiddie has done uh this season without Kyrie in the lineup I mean you could package him because his contract has got to be the best non-rookie scale non-max contract in the whole league I would say so you take that contract it's very desirable uh you package it with you know if you were to go all in for a star who I have no idea is going to be available but uh Spencer Karis LeVert picks like they have a lot of interesting assets if they really wanted to go top heavy I don't think they're going to do that. I think that I think Spencer is a little redundant, and uh, if you could find, I think a team uh, that needs a franchise point guard. Uh, so, like one team, if, as an example, like I feel like the Orlando Magic would be pretty interested in a Spencer Diddy transaction and Spencer Dinwiddie transaction, and. Uh, someone who could really help positionally the Brooklyn Nets going forward would be Aaron Gordon. So a deal kind of centered around those two pieces I could see happening. But I don't really know who the third star is that they're going to try and acquire. Uh, but they they will have, I think, the opportunity to do so if one should be disgruntled wherever he is. What if they just massively overpay for Bradley Beal this summer? They just throw the entire kitchen sink at at Washington. What do you think? That's really interesting. Um, I mean, that team would, pr- I, I would have a really difficult time picking against them to go to the finals. <laughs> uh, if you can have two of Beal, Kyrie, and KD on the floor at all times, like that's good. You know what's great, Michael? I can hear in your voice right now, like you don't even want to fully comprehend this <laughs> because it would just be falling in your lap. This is exactly how I felt when the LeBron rumors coming to LA first took place where I was like, no, he should sign with Houston or San Antonio, you know, like go to a stable organization because I couldn't even wrap my mind around how amazing it would be to have uh, LeBron, let alone Anthony Davis, uh, you know, falling in my lap here in Los Angeles. Um that would be pretty sick, man. Like, you know, that that would change your life a little bit. That would be fun. I would enjoy that. I mean, I'm, I've been going to these. I can't even speak about the Knicks right now. We won't even bring them up. But, like, the <laughs> Nets, like, it, it is cool watching. Uh, you know, like, last year it was cool watching, you know, Spencer kind of do his thing a little bit. Karis breaking out. Uh, but it's just, like, not even – it's, it's like, not even the same – 
like stratosphere compared to watching Kyrie Irving every night in person. And I just can't wait to watch KD either. So, you know, if they get Beal too, yeah, I would be very, very pleased with my living situation. Now, I have a question for you on the game ops side of things. Do the Nets milk Biggie as hard as they did on that Sunday night game at every single game? Or was that like a special Biggie tribute night? Because they didn't even give out the Biggie bobblehead. I guess that's coming up here shortly. But they were wearing the Coogee jerseys. It seemed like every single routine the dancers did was a Biggie song. I don't mean to be rude, but like if the Nets were part of like Junior Mafia, I don't think that they're going to be in the main SUV with Biggie and Puffy, right? They might be like in the fourth SUV back going to the club. Like I don't think that they're really making the cut. It seems like they're trying a little too hard with the Biggie stuff. Oh, for sure. Like I don't I I will I will cop to, you know, purchasing the the Biggie Kuji sweater socks that they had uh, at the game. I think that was on uh, Fan Appreciation Night last year. So that those are wonderful. But yeah, uh, they play a lot of it, Biggie, it just, and it's it might be time for a new identity here, you know, or just you know a new refresher. I, just throwing it out there. Yeah, they also play a lot of Jay Z too, and so it's just like the Jay Z Biggie one too, which is great. I mean, I I'm not complaining necessarily, but it is just it's a lot. It's overwhelming. All right, look, Michael, I think that's probably enough on the Nets. They're not going to win a title. Katie made a horrible mistake. Kyrie (laughs) is still unreliable. Boy, what an uplifting conversation we had here. Um, No, they're a team to watch, though. In all seriousness, down the stretch, I think it could get really interesting. The matchup that everyone should be crossing his or her fingers for is Boston-Brooklyn in the first round because Kyrie would actually have to play those games. He wouldn't be able to just, you know, just you know, sit out for whatever uh, reasons or excuses he's used in the past. Um, and that would be just, you know, very rich in narrative storylines. Everybody wants to see that. It could definitely happen as the 2-7. That's kind of what I'm hoping for. We usually get just terrible first-round series in the Eastern Conference. That one would qualify as not terrible. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet there's complexity at every turn criminal trials for one of those candidates, young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Now, Michael, we got a bunch of questions from the Open Floor Globe. They emailed us, openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. And we mentioned Westbrook a little bit earlier. We got a question from Kane in the UK, and I love it when people email us. and They say, hey, man, I just started following the NBA recently. Can you guys help us with this question? Please, guys, never be intimidated. If you've got just you know basic what you might think is like 101 type questions, send them in. We love to tackle them. Kane writes, I'm a relatively new fan of the NBA from the United Kingdom, with this being my second season of watching after LeBron's move to LA caught my attention. One thing that has always puzzled me when I watch games and read various articles is how no experts seem to rate Westbrook as highly as other recent MVPs. His triple-double stats last year were widely written off as unimportant. I'm genuinely wondering why this is. Obviously, I'm very new to the sport, so I appreciate you guys getting me up to speed. Now, Kane, as you can tell, our other listener, Brandon, said that Westbrook's fallen off a cliff more than any player besides maybe Kyrie earlier. So this is a widespread notion um, that you are uh, stumbling into, Kane. Michael, how would you explain this uh, phenomenon regarding Westbrook? I mean, where to begin? (laughs) Um, I, I guess, like, basically it starts with the fact that as analysts, we've... Uh, increasingly used analytics and numbers to judge players and to measure their worth and their value. And Russell Westbrook just happens to be one of the least efficient stars, if he's even a star anymore, uh, in the league. And, uh, you know, he's shooting 29% on wide open threes, 19% on catch and shoot threes. These are... Com- yeah, and, and slow down here for Kane, because they use metric, I think, over there. Kane, 29% is not good, okay? I don't know what how that translates to <laughs> ounces or liters or whatever. 29% is terrible globally. Yes, it is terrible. He is, he is uh, he's been a train wreck in that department, and... You know, the league is basically defined by if you want the ball in your hands, you need to be able to shoot threes. That's that pretty much goes with just about anybody who qualifies as a star who uh, can't impact the game in other ways, uh, like a Giannis or a Ben Simmons, who are, you know, defensive, uh, great defensive players. So the other thing about Westbrook real quick is just that those triple doubles were acquired, you know, they're very impressive, but they were acquired in an environment that was built to propel him forward instead of his team. So, you know, for like just trying to lay it out, like Steven Adams uh, would never look to grab the basketball. He would always look to box out his man and create space so Russell Westbrook could grab the basketball and grab the rebound. Uh, so, you combine all that with just the way he would fl- Yeah, so maybe we should try to like translate to this to soccer <laughs> okay. terminology for Kane. So imagine that Steven Adams is basically running ahead of Messi and he is just wiping out every defensive player in Messi's path and then Steven Adams is tackling the goalkeeper and somehow not getting called for a yellow card 
allowing Messi to just dribble into the empty net. That's basically what they were doing regularly on rebounding scenarios to kind of help juice Russell Westbrook's numbers. Because of course, you know, 12 points, eight rebounds and 10 assists isn't nearly as impressive as 12, 10 and 10, right? So those last couple of rebounds, they were, they were sort of approaching that by any means necessary. Correct. Thank you for that wonderful analogy, Ben. And, you know, just what he would also do is hunt assists. So if he passed you the ball and you, you know, you dribbled or you passed it, he would get very upset with you because he wants that assist. So that created this just me first environment that I don't think was super conducive to winning with the in his last couple of years with the Oklahoma City Thunder. And you combine it with just the flameouts that he's had in the playoffs, and the criticism is more than more than just. I feel like that was very well explained. I think that this goes back to one of my favorite uh, pet phrases that I've come up with, Kane. Uh, Westbrook plays with purpose. He doesn't play with a purpose. Now, what I mean by that is he plays hard. The guy definitely brings the energy on a night-to-night basis. The consistent effort is always there. He's a maniac in transition. He will put pressure on opposing teams' defenses, and he will stockpile statistics unlike anything that we've seen in a really long time, right? But playing with a purpose is sort of like having a higher calling when you're on the court, especially if you're a point guard. That burden falls to you. It's not just about what you're doing. It's about all 10 players on the court. Uh, anticipating their actions, orchestrating the gameplay, having a sense for pace, when to play in sixth gear, when to play in first gear, you know, downshifting, downshifting, upshifting, all that stuff. And then also keeping a cool head in pressure packed moments. And what we've seen from Westbrook time and again, especially in the playoffs, like, uh, like Michael mentioned, he doesn't have that feel. He doesn't know how to kind of oscillate, uh, and he doesn't know how to make necessarily his teammates better or put them in position to succeed. And so I think there's been even more undercutting of his statistical accomplishments here recently because we've seen a number of his former teammates immediately find success as soon as they're outside of his orbit, right? So of course, there's Victor Oladipo and DeMontis Sabonis in Indiana, pretty obvious examples. Kevin Durant's efficiency went up markedly once he was playing with Steph Curry rather than Westbrook. And then now we're seeing uh, you know, a player like Dennis Schroeder in Oklahoma City having a much better season this year now that he doesn't have to sort of uh, tug of war with Westbrook kind of in that uh, environment. So uh, that's a lot of you know pretty damning evidence against Westbrook. There are still a lot of coaches who would love to have him on their team around this league. I talked to them, you know, I've heard that regularly, even in this current version, simply because of the heart factor and the consistency factor and the idea that among star level players, he still brings max effort more than a lot of other guys do. Uh, But what we're seeing is, uh, you know, age is degrading what he does well. That's a natural thing. His efficiency has slipped, like Michael mentioned, and he's no longer kind of a big impact player. And really, he's no longer a number one option either. But fear not, Kane, he is going to be a cult hero. Uh, a guy before your time as a fan was Allen Iverson, who got labeled with a lot of these same, you know, inefficient, uh, you know, me first type of player. And he still has a very, very diehard legion of fans, uh, you know, 10, 15 years later. Westbrook is going to appeal to the same type of fans uh, as he ages, goes into retirement and afterwards. So uh, the Westbrook legacy will live on, even if analytic nerds like Michael and myself (laughs) are out on Westbrook and have been for much of his career. All right, here's a good one from Marco. 
Uh, Michael, he writes, to celebrate the new decade, it would be cool if you guys discussed the different types of championship players and teams you see for the 2020s. I came up with a few examples and provided my own answers. So he writes, a player who will for sure win a championship in the 2020s. And he writes, Giannis and the Lakers. And he says, players, teams who could win a championship, but won't. And he writes, Harden and Westbrook. And he says, sorry, Michael, because of course you, you picked the Rockets to win the title this year. He says, a current rookie that could win a title, John Morant with Memphis. And then he says, players you personally want to see win a championship. And he listed Luka, Giannis, and the Raptors. Those are awesome picks from Marcos. He's got great taste in players. Um, Michael, feel free to pick on any of those categories. Did you have some favorites you wanted to list? Uh, yeah, I mean, we I, I can go through all of them, top to bottom. Uh I guess starting with, you know, the player team who will for sure win a championship in the 2020s, I might the player for me is Kawhi just because I, I we we went on a we had a conversation about him earlier in an earlier episode about why he's the the crown wearer in the league and I, I just he's the best player alive and he'll figure out a way uh, even though I predicted that the Houston Rockets would win the title this season. I'm like, obviously not, not super confident in that as someone who watches the NBA regularly. Uh, so yeah, I think Kawhi is the player. And then for the team, I mean, I could have gone with the Clippers and, and uh, that would have been a pretty easy, obvious selection, but I'm actually going with the Boston Celtics. Uh, I thought you might. I, th- I considered them too, but lay out the case for them quickly. Yeah, basically, well, they're already very good and they're their best players besides Kemba Walker and Gordon Hayward, who are, uh, uh, you know, in their late 20s on max contracts are Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, who not only are they all-star caliber wings already in their early 20s, but they play positions and have games that are just so perfectly suited for the modern league. And uh, you can kind of fit them in into any system and into any personnel grouping. Uh, they're getting markedly better by the week, it seems. You know, Jason Tatum had that 41-point performance against uh, the New Orleans Pelicans a few days ago. So I feel like the we haven't even seen uh, we haven't cl- seen anything close to what those two are capable of together. And so you combine that with I feel like pretty solid coaching and organizational front office stability, uh, ownership that's willing to spend money. And I, I just think that if I have to pick one team, I, that's the that's the team. They're definitely in the mix for sure. When it comes to me for the players, I see two. Giannis and Luca, and I'm feeling really good about both of them. And I'm going back. Frankly, it's just the desire, the desire to win and the love for the sport and the continual improvement that we've seen from those two. I just feel like they're undeniable. If we're saying guys who will for sure win a title, I don't see any way that those two guys are going to get cast into the Charles Barkley or the Patrick Ewing void, right? I think also they're easier picks for this question because they're going to have more cracks at it, you know, given their age. Uh, Eventually, they're going to be in a post-LeBron NBA. Uh, You know, a guy like Kawhi worries me just a little bit. He's a little bit older and there's the injury factor. So maybe something could kind of, uh, you know, screw him up there. Um, Those are the two guys that I feel the very most confident about. Ben, do you still think that Giannis 
is going to win a championship, let's say he does not win one this year and then re-signs the Supermax with Milwaukee, do you still are you still that confident about him winning a title with uh, all these other teams able to you know create super teams and other super talented players teaming up and everything like that? Does 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 that strike fear in your prediction at all? According to my prophecy, my Giannis Inc. prophecy, there's a chance he wins seven titles and is better than Jordan. Uh, <laughs> so if you're saying one title, that feels like light work for Giannis. Um, okay. I have no concerns about... Okay, look, as I mentioned on Christmas, I'm the, the smiling mask with the crying face behind it. Of course, there's concerns, right? But I'm not going to agonize over Giannis's title shot when these guys are out here just smacking teams every single night, looking amazing, and often he's looking unstoppable. And we still know he's not as good as he's going to be a year or two from now. He's going to get better, and he is undeniable. It takes absolutely premier guys at their peak levels to stop him, as we saw in Eastern Conference playoffs last year with Kawhi. And we're just going to be in a situation on the age curve where once he's 29, there's not going to be anyone who can stop him. Now, the guys who are going to be able to hold him back are going to have aged out. They're going to be post-prime. They're not going to be able to keep up with him anymore, and it's going to be his league. So... Uh, this is more for me of a projection exercise, you know, like who are, who are the best guys by their age group mm-hmm. right now? And therefore, once they're on the top of their games, no one's going to be able to stop them. And, and those are the two guys that I feel the most confident about Giannis and Luca. Okay, that's fair. Um, I will move on then to go to uh, players and teams who could win a championship but won't. And... I'm going Ben Simmons and the Philadelphia 76ers. <laughs> <laughs> I just couldn't help myself. Well, they're only going to get uh, one shot, right? Because aren't they going to trade him? Exactly. That, that's <laughs> I, Yeah, I just feel like, like Embiid is not going anywhere. And it's just such a complicated fit. Both make so much money together. The, piece, the pieces that you need around them are expensive pieces. And... I I think stylistically I'm just not sold and 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 it's, it sounds like I'm attacking Ben Simmons but like really I he's I, he's kind of growing on me in a lot of different ways with the things that he does uh you know jump shot criticism excluded like he's really rounding out his game in different ways and Well Michael let me ex- stop you right there you don't have to be all polite to Ben Simmons cuz my guy Kevin O'Connor has given everyone cover because he's taken just like AK-47 shots at Ben Simmons <laughs> on Twitter. So I think anything goes in terms of the uh, criticism of Ben Simmons these days. So feel free, just speak your mind. You don't have to you know, give him this little sideways generic praise. You can just keep it real. No, I, I am keeping it real. I mean, he's he's been better in ways that I didn't think he could be. I mean, he... I. I still am very, very skeptical that he will ever shoot. I don't know. I think it's a mental thing now. I think I think that's clear because if you just watch him in pregames, he's drilling corner threes. So why can't you step out in the corner and shoot a three during a game? Makes no sense to me. So I don't think that's overcomeable from him. I just, I, I, it just, we haven't seen it and, and he's unwilling to do it. And he seems super confident in himself to a degree that self-awareness is lacking. And... I think that they will trade him before this team is able to kind of reach its apex and get to the finals. And that's kind of a humongous bummer. And uh, the end game of the process is, I, I, I mean, that's just not what you want if you're a Sixers fan. But I just, they just got, fit-wise, it just, it doesn't work. I mean, I just, I just I, there's nothing else for me to say about it. It just doesn't work. 
I hear you. Okay, a couple other nominations real quickly. Uh, Westbrook will not win a title. That that one I feel great about. Now, can Houston flip him and still get a title for James Harden? That one I'm still holding out hope for. Um, I'm not ready to completely seed Harden into that conversation like the emailer did Marco, uh, but it's not looking great at this point. It's certainly the, the last couple of weeks have been pretty rough uh, for Rockets observers, especially that game in Oklahoma City where they just got run off the court. I'm curious, though, what about Denver? If I told you that Jokic oh. and Murray never win a title and they always just kind of cap out as like, you know, Western Conference finals, cute story, would you agree? Or do you think that they're ever going to be able to, to break through? Because Jokic is another guy, 25 and under, all NBA first team talent, otherworldly passing ability, shown he can do it already in the playoffs at times, super clutch guy, incredible, you know, uh, game winners uh, time after time and just a high shooting percentage in late game moments. Um, do you think he can ever win a title in the 2020s? I do think that Jokic can win a title. I don't think Jamal Murray deserves Rick. Like, I don't think his name needs to be mentioned here. Like, if I'm okay, so if I'm looking at Denver right now through the 2020s, I think their path to winning a championship can only happen if Michael Porter Jr. is their second best player. I'm just going to well, say that right now. Yeah, Michael Porter Jr. totally agrees with you, and so does his family. They're ready. <laughs> like He just <laughs> the, feels really ready for that, doesn't he? Yeah, he uh, the next KD, Giannis hybrid coming at you. Can't wait. Okay, Michael, that feels a little blasphemous. Let's not take Giannis's name in vain here, but I, I'm with you. The, the Michael Porter Jr. hype is pretty fun, and he, I mean, he puts together some crazy highlights and just some just some pure basketball plays that get basically anyone excited. Like if you're not enjoying the Michael Porter Jr. Renaissance, uh, there's a problem with your soul. I will just say that, you know, straight <laughs> up. <laughs> and, and I didn't necessarily see it coming this year. I thought there was going to be some um, offensive fit, stylistic questions, and then trust issues between the coaching staff and him. And he's he's burst through that stuff that was definitely looming earlier in the year and, you know, finding him himself a really nice extended stretch here. Um, all right, let's move on quickly to rookies. Uh, now, Marco nominated John Morant. Can we say Zion's going to win a title? Are we feeling that confident about Zion or no? I mean, he hasn't played a minute yet, so... He, I mean, he, you know I put what, him down. Michael, He's on my list. Yeah, screw it. Zion's going to win a title, okay? And here's my argument for that. He okay. gets the Draymond comp. He is also a phenomenon type guy where like everyone has to, you know, the basketball world stops. Like he, even these videos of him dunking before, you know, practices and everything like that just shuts down Twitter and he hasn't even played in months. I just think he's going to be the type of guy where it's not going to be the full LeBron where like he's, you know, going to take his talents to South Beach. I just think there's going to be a way where he puts together a super team or he figures into a super team. Maybe it's a bunch of the Duke grads get together or not grads, I guess, you know, the Duke one and done guys get together and form a, a team somewhere. I just think over the next 10 years, he'll be able to figure out some scenario where maybe he's not like the clear cut alpha dog of that team, but he's just on a really, really nice, well-balanced team in that Draymond role uh, with a little bit more offense and they're able to get it done. I, yeah, I see what you're saying, but also like winning a title is extremely difficult. And when Anthony Davis was coming out of college, if we did this, you know, this exercise seven or eight years ago or whatever, like will Anthony Davis, I mean, he could win this year for all we know, but like 
his career up to this point, I think, is a testament to just how difficult it is even to win a playoff series, let alone the championship. Like, it's just, it's really tough. It's really tough to do. That's a great point. That's a a really good point. Has Anthony Davis been a disappointment to you? How about that? Wow. I I mean, that's a whole different podcast section, I think. (laughs) I mean, when we're saying legacy and like where he came out, you know, top three MVP guy very early in his career, there's an argument for it. It's just a difficult argument to make right now when the Lakers basically lose once every two months. Um, So maybe we could just steer clear of that one. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret, like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. All right. uh, The last category here was players you personally want to see win a championship. And you've already mentioned the Celtics here, Michael. So don't go back to that well. Uh, But who else do you want to see uh, win a title? Uh, Brad Wanamaker, Carson Edwards. Now, I think I'm going (laughs) to go with Chris Paul. And this is just he is someone who I, I like I felt so bad for him when he like the hamstring injury two years ago in the playoffs was one of those moments where it was just like, I'm watching it just as an impartial observer. And it was like a gut punch. And I can only imagine what he went through. He's one of the best players in NBA history. He's still getting it done at age 34, or however old he is in Oklahoma City this season, just, you know, hitting daggers, crunch time daggers. He's like leads the league in plus minus in crunch time. Uh, I would just, I would love to see this happen. Uh, I, like I love watching Chris Paul play. I think he's one of the premier players of his generation. Uh, he deserves it. My list is good, not going to surprise anyone. Kevin Durant, Giannis, um, and then also in terms of like maybe lesser known players, Vince Carter finding a way out of the mess onto a gravy train and getting a, a title to cap things off here would be pretty cool at the trade deadline, don't you think? 
Um, and then, and I'm not even the world's biggest Vince Carter fan, but that would just be a nice story. And the other guy who I've always had a lot of respect for, who I would love to see win a title, is P.J. Tucker. That guy has stood in the corner a lot of time over the last you know, four or five <laughs> years, and he has made countless winning plays in big playoff moments and taken on huge defensive responsibilities and everything else. So I don't know if it's going to happen in Houston, but I would love for him to have another chapter where he's able to kind of finally get that validation for his career. Can I also say, can I one more NBA figure, not a player, but a coach, actually? Yeah, yeah. Um, I want Mike D'Antoni to win a championship, like, desperately. So he's, like, is he going to have to be a Lakers assistant, or how is that happening? Oh, Jesus. Come on. Like, I, I, I went really close to having Harden here as someone who I want to win the title just because it would just validate a lot of the, the stuff and, and, and discount a lot of the criticism about him. But D'Antoni, it's just like he's one of the most important figures of the past 30 years in NBA history, and uh, he's come so close so many times, and from the Steve Nash sons with the Robert Horry hip check to the Chris Paul hamstring injury, it would just be great to see him to see him win it all. Yeah, and let me just clarify, that's a great nomination. When it comes to Kevin, I don't necessarily want to see him win a title with the Nets because I'm never going to forgive him for that decision to join up with with Kyrie Irving. (laughs) What I would really like is for him to hit the eject or the undo button and maybe after one year of of trying it and having it not work, find a different destination than lead that team to the title. My dream scenario is he teams up with Giannis on the Knicks, but we don't need to get into that right now all right michael we've got more questions from the open floor globe and here they come jeff writes hey i just listened to the segment about michael's idea to change the goaltending rule and it got me thinking if the change went through so there was no basket interference wouldn't guys like boban marjanovic and taco fall become some of the highest paid players on their team uh would you guys be able to get into a situation where you wouldn't even necessarily need to play defense. You could just kind of hang out by the hoop, uh, wait for the ball to hit the rim, and let the big guys go to work. Also, would offensive stats like quote-unquote swish percentage start getting tracked so that you didn't have to worry about players having their shots rejected off the rim? Very creative uh, conceptual questions from Jeff. Michael, digging in even deeper to the offensive basket interference questions. What do you think? Um, would that be a pleasant byproduct or an unintended consequence? First of all, swish percentage is something I'd like to write a story about. That is just, that's tremendous. I don't know if NBA teams track that sort of thing. They probably do because they track everything. So thank you for that idea, Jeff. That's wonderful. Um, I mean, I don't think that it'll play out as dramatically as Boban and Taco Fall getting uh, max contracts because the reason that they don't play now is that they can't run up and down the floor, which is critical, it turns out, in full-court basketball games. So I think it, you know, if the rules were, if, if this was like the big three league, uh, then maybe Boban and Taco would be the two most important players. But, you know, there's still the three seconds rule. There's still, uh, again, the fact that they have to run back on defense and run on offense. And so I just, I don't think it, 
I, I, don't, I don't think that uh, it, it'll really get to that point, but so I'm you're sure saying, their value will go up a little bit. Right. The secret weapons aren't going to be quite as potent as maybe Jeff is hoping for. Um, Jeff, I see your your brain's working, but I'm with Michael on this one. I think it would, sounds good in theory, but ultimately, like, I don't. I think the swish percentage numbers are higher than we think, and I don't think there's that many shots that are rimming in right like if they rim off they're just off and they're going to be defensive rebounds or offensive rebounds um so i think that you're you're overestimating the impact of multi bounce field goals jeff unfortunately i hate to break it to you but that's the that's the truth hey michael we're running out of time here so we got a couple of fun questions here to close out all right chris writes It may have only been a passing reference on a recent podcast, but you guys touched on an interesting debate that I've recently had with my wife. She considers my 16-year-old son a picky eater. Admittedly, he has a limited palate. However, my wife is a vegetarian. Isn't this a case of the pot calling the kettle black? Being a vegetarian automatically eliminates about 75% of any non-vegetarian restaurant menu. So my position is, it doesn't matter why or why not you don't eat a specific food. The bottom line is, if you're a vegetarian, you're not eating a majority of available food. Of course, she feels differently. Thoughts? So Michael, I need you to weigh in on this because we were talking about picky eating. And I think I was saying how I became a vegetarian uh, you know, down in Texas uh, after eating too much meat in San Antonio. And then I was saying how the only thing you can really eat in Cleveland that's vegetarian friendly is mozzarella sticks and french fries and so chris is basically calling me out as a picky eater and and blaming me blaming the victim uh, who goes to ohio and has nothing healthy to eat are you on chris's side michael or do you understand where i'm coming from ben you are a hundred thousand percent a picky eater wow this is nothing against vegetarians vegans whatever doesn't matter uh choose to eat what you want that's wonderful but it's just like it's the definition of it. You're not eating all the food that's available. So, Michael, are we sure? Therefore, you are picky. Are we sure that meat should be viewed as food, right? Those are our fellow living creatures. Are we totally sure? Is this an NBA podcast, Ben? What do we. <laughs> <laughs> all right, fair enough. I'm just saying, look, I hear what Chris is saying. I obviously empathize with his wife's take on this. Uh, I do think this applies to the NBA. Um, you know, atmosphere because there's a lot of vegans, a lot of vegetarians in the league right now. It's certainly a hip thing to be doing. Um, and it's a real factor. I mean, access to food, you know, city by city is not equal. Um, and, you know, I, I think guys probably have to go through some struggles finding food, even if they would not consider themselves to be picky. Chris, I'm going to let you off the hook here, though. I'm just a picky eater, period. Um, I tend to eat the same thing every day. You know how Obama used to wear the same clothes every single day to keep his life simple? I almost do that to an embarrassing fashion of just eating the same, you know, lunch and dinner uh, practically every single day. Uh, So I will just cop to being a picky eater, but be nicer to your wife. She's saving the environment. She's helping the climate, uh, you know, in the big picture. And I think, you know, frankly, You've got a lot of animal blood uh, on your hands, and you should consider <laughs> the repercussions of that and maybe come over to the good side and, and uh, you know, self-designate as a picky eater and, and ride up on your high horse uh, without, uh, you know, necessarily having the guilt that would go along with that. All right. Last question here from AJ. He writes, Ben, I'm so excited that you and Andrew are back together with the Greatest of All Talk podcast. 
I'm happy you both realized your value in the NBA podcasting world. AJ, that's so nice. Um, He goes on to say, though, Michael, and I bring this up because I'm hoping to embarrass you a little bit. He writes, but thinking about the new project has also made me realize how awesome Open Floor has been lately. Michael Pina, you are the man. I must admit, I hadn't heard or read of your work uh, before Open Floor, but you are an excellent addition to the show. Between you and Ben, the level of sarcasm is at an all-time high. I'm currently listening to you guys discuss the franchises you'd least like to get drafted to, and I cannot help but respect the shade. So elitist and dismissive. I love it. Now, elitist and dismissive would be a good tagline for us, Michael. Maybe. We, we should just consider <laughs> that. Open Floor 2020. Uh, and AJ concludes, I just wanted to take a moment to let you know that, yes, there were enormous shoes to fill in Andrew's absence, but Michael, you've done it with panache. The pod is something new now, and I absolutely love it. Good stuff. Michael, did I successfully embarrass you on the show? I'm red in the face. No, I, 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 I just, I, <laughs> I want to say that's very nice of, of AJ to say, and uh, you're right. I do not like receiving compliments, so I'm going to deflect it by saying that I am personally very excited that you and Sharper are, are getting back together and are together, and uh, your show uh, is awesome. You both are really cool people, and you have great chemistry, and I am your number one fan. That was absolutely incredible weasel work by you. I mean, you got out of that just brilliant. <laughs> you look so slippery. I loved it. Um, look, here's the deal, guys. The last couple of months were complicated. There's no question about it. I mean, I've kind of told this story before, but there was questions. Is the show going to go on? Who am I going to do it with? You know, Rob Mahoney gets this great opportunity to go right at the ringer and everything else. I'm so thankful that Michael stepped up and he has been absolutely killing it on this show here the last couple of weeks, especially. Um, and we're finding a nice rhythm and I'm really proud of, of how this show has uh, held up to the tough times here over the last couple of months, but also, as AJ noted, kind of evolved into a new thing. It's been really fun to break down the the latest news, analysis, trade rumors, and all that stuff with Michael, and we're looking forward to doing that here on this show as well. Uh, and we also you know, have an, a nice new project going, uh, like I said, with Andrew that's called Greatest of All Talk. Check that out at goat.supportingcast.fm or greatestofalltalk.com if you want to sign up and, and uh, you know hang out Uh, over there as well. To me, this is just a situation where we found ourselves uh, confronted last October with a situation that was kind of out of our control. We had to seek uh, the best possible resolution for everybody. And I think this is actually the rare situation in life, knock on wood, where the greater good has kind of uh, prevailed. Uh, Everyone can kind of be winners in his or her own way uh, in this situation. And now we've got the best of both worlds uh, with two podcasts rolling along with full momentum here in 2020. And I thank you guys so much for your interaction, for continuing to support this show, for peppering Michael and I with hilarious questions and, you know, you know, sometimes a little bit of shade too along the way. Uh, I know it's been a lot of fun for Michael here the, the last couple of weeks. He's mentioned that as well. Uh, and we're looking forward to uh, con- keeping all this momentum going. Guys, if you want to help us support the show, Uh, Go to Apple Podcasts and search for Open Floor. That's two words. When you find our page, scroll down. It will say rate and review. Tap five stars. It's just that easy to help us spread the word. Email us, openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. I'm on Instagram at ben.goliver, and I'm on Twitter at ben.goliver. Go to my Twitter page 
And at the top, there's a link. It says, subscribe to my newsletter, the post-up weekly newsletter from the Washington Post. You can get it. It's free. It's got a great recap every single Monday of what's going to come. And then the biggest story of the week for me, that was the Kyrie Irving return this week. So go ahead and check that out. Michael is on Instagram and Twitter at Michael V as in Victor Pina. Okay, Michael, until later this week, when I believe I'll be talking to you from the heart of Texas, I will talk to you. Talk to you soon, Ben. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.